all those hours I, I've spent, those days and weeks as a kid, learning to play video games and getting good at it, it turns out actually does, in fact, have some application in real life and can help you get a job. And welcome to Tech Moonshine. Coming to you straight from a small cabin in the Virginia woods, Tech Moonshine is the best podcast to learn about new technologies and how they might affect your life. Your hosts are all experienced technology professionals, and just like quality moonshine, they will give you the straight and unfiltered truth. My name is Sean Burns, and I'm proud to introduce the host of Tech Moonshine, Mike Rollins. And welcome to Tech Moonshine, where you will get 200 proof, honest truth on technology news. Sean, this week's tech topic is drones. Drones, drones. The things that fly around autonomously and give us maybe superpowers. And, you know, we always open with a quaint story. And, and this story I actually um, watched recently on YouTube, and it was quite hysterical. So let me bring us in. Um, imagine, if you will, that you are over flying a drone over the Scottish countryside. Um, you're in the mountains. And you are just flying around at random. And as you're flying around, you happen to see a very large mountain ram. And so you decide you want to get a closer look and you fly your drone down towards the mountain ram. And you kind of inspect the mountain ram. Um, and in order to do that, you got to get close to the mountain ram. The thing about mountain rams, apparently, is that they get very angry very easily. And so the mountain ram makes a few noises at your drone and then charges it. Uh, and it hits it once, but you're not smart enough to move your drone out of the way. And so it charges you again and knocks your drone out of the air, um, knocks the camera all askew, and drops your drone to the ground. Now drones, and this particular drone was a DJI Phantom uh, Vision. Um, they happen to be rather expensive. And so the... Uh, owner went to go retrieve the drone because obviously you don't want to leave $1,200 just sitting on the ground. And uh, the owner went to where the drone landed um, in a bush and picked up the drone. And at that point, the owner, interestingly enough, has a camera on him as well. So you got you got to question what's going on. Um, as the owner is walking away from where the drone was, where the mountain ram, the angry mountain ram also was, um, he realizes that, in fact, the mountain ram is now chasing him. <laughs> and so uh, you get to watch as this individual runs down some crazy mountain trail with a very angry mountain ram behind him. And if you've ever seen an angry mountain ram, you know that they have very large horns and this thing wants to prove a point. And so it eventually knocks this guy over into the ground um, as it charges at him multiple times. It, it's very surprising that putting a foot up in front of a very angry charging mountain ram does not do anything to deter it. Uh, very shocking. Um, but yeah, that is, that is today's story, and it really kind of illustrates a lot of the things that we're going to talk about. It gives you the ability to see amazing things. Um, it gives you the ability to go places you've never gone before, but it can also piss a lot of people off. I, I'm curious, is, is, the, is the moral of the story that um, 
that drones can kill you or that mountain rams are really aggressive? I've kind of got lost in the moral I, there a little bit. I, you know, I, I think that there's a there's a multifaceted um, moral here. And, and I think the first facet to take away is I would not antagonize mountain drones. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Mount, mountain drones are very dangerous, especially in their native habitat. Oh, mountain, mountain, yeah, mountain drones, drones. Mountain drones they, they, can be very they dangerous. They breed among themselves, yeah. Mike. Yeah, they, they do. Have, um, you also should not uh, antagonize their smaller brethren, which are the mountain rams. Um, <laughs> and and the mountain rams will, will chase you. Um, I, I've never been... I've been, I've been charged by dogs. Um, I've been chased by other things. I have never been chased by a mountain ram. I can tell you I would probably find it to be very terrifying. You know, this power that you have uh, with a drone, you probably should not antagonize mountain rams with it. That's the moral of the story. It's true. Although uh, your point about being able to see things is is so true. I mean, technology that makes up these drones, which are basically these little quadcopters. If you have not seen one of them, it's a little hobby. It's a very small helicopter. It's got maybe four or eight rotors on it. Um, and it usually has a camera mounted to it, and you can control it remotely using your phone or using a remote control and fly it and see different things. You can, in, in a city setting, fly it up to buildings. In a mountain setting, fly it over terrain where you can't hike. Mm-hmm. It's essentially a way to have a, uh, a camera mounted to a helicopter that you control. And what's happened is it's become so affordable that drones have now become a thing that anybody can do. And so for a few thousand dollars, you can buy a very sophisticated self-balanced drone that can go help you film whatever you want and mm-hmm. uh, so while the technology is not u- new what's new is the price point has come down to the point where everybody can afford it which is super exciting and so mike for the first question that comes to mind that our listeners want to know is do you have a drone i i have children and it's possible that you could call them drones on some occasions <laughs> um when i make them do my bidding which quite frankly is not as often as it needs to be but no, I, I don't have a drone. I, I have been, been very seriously considering purchasing one. Um, the you know there's uh, there's been some new models that have come out recently. The price is in fact coming down. Um, there is an, an interesting Kickstarter right now uh, where you can basically be all in for this new drone. That you know the drone itself is around eight to nine hundred dollars, and then. Uh, you can get it attached. Uh, it's, it's got a gimbaled GoPro that you can attach to it. So you can not only fly the drone around, but you can also control the camera um, while you're flying around to do some pretty amazing things. You know, the Parrot Bebop just came out, debuting for right around $700, $800. And then there's the DJI Phantom Vision Plus, which is probably the best one on the market right now. And it's about $1,200. And there's, you know, of course you buy options, you get things that the price goes up. I do not have one. Um, it is on my list of things I would like to seriously consider in the next year. Cool. And so as somebody who does not yet own one, mm-hmm. a question that always occurs to me um, as these drones start proliferating and everybody starts having them, mm-hmm. if a drone started hovering, you're sitting at your house one day, or maybe you're sitting in your backyard during the day, mm-hmm. and a drone descends out of the heavens and hovers outside the window of your house, just staring into your house, watching you do whatever it is that you're doing, mm-hmm. what do you do? How do you react? Well, Sean, 
the only appropriate response in the backwoods of Virginia if a drone begins hovering over you is to, in fact, grab your shotgun and shoot it out of the air. <laughs> agreed, agreed. But for those those people that don't live in West Virginia have a shotgun with them at all times. Like Virginia shot, not West Virginia, but it's a very different place. Uh, sorry, sorry. Yes, that's right. I know. We have never actually been there, uh, although I hear great things about it someday. Uh, the reason I ask is uh, it's an interesting question because these drones can go anywhere and they will go anywhere. And in fact, there have been numerous documented cases of people, especially who have very large bay windows, having these drones just hover in front of their house and look in the windows. Yeah. They have no license plates on them. There's no way for you to know who owns it. Yeah. Um, there are technically no clear laws about what you can do to retaliate. Can you throw a net at it? Can you shoot it out of the air? And actually, by the time you got around to doing that, it quite possibly could have flown off. And so, see you later. What yeah. what is your how do you how do you handle that? Is, do you have to keep your shades closed at all times? Do you need to you know cover up? Obviously, you can't do that if you're outside. So there's a great interesting privacy question about if a drone can be anywhere and it has no self-identifying. There's no way to trace it back to who has it. In theory, you could use it to spy on anybody anywhere. You could essentially become the perfect stalking tool, which is very scary. You imagine this world of these drones flying around and you have no way to protect yourself uh, because there's no way to hide from them unless you go inside and close all your windows and close all your doors. Even more frightening than that is in this new drone that I've been looking at on Indiegogo. It's called the Ghost Drone. And that that thing is designed to be able to lock onto a target and follow it. The the use case that they give in, in some of the videos is that, oh, if you wanted to, you know, like have the drone follow you while you're running, um, that's a great use case. You can do that. But Who's to stop you from, you know, if you're a little bit off your rocker um, or you're just obsessed or whatever? That's only because my rocker is broken, okay? It's not, nothing right. to do well, with anything yeah. else. Yeah, you know, Sean, you and your rocker are very special. Uh, but, like, you know, who's to say that you couldn't, like, tag this thing to follow someone that you were stalking, like you said? It, it, it definitely is a very interesting question. But now... I don't think this is a reason to run in, in fear. I mean, every new technology typically has some kind of implication like this. And society adapts, and we end up coming to grips with this new technology. I mean, you know, th the same question could be asked of cameras on smartphones a decade ago. Yeah, but you you need to see, I would disagree. The only reason that this is different is it's very remote. It's right? anonymous. To, to, to you, exactly. Yeah. So to be able to, I could spy on you using my cell phone camera, but you'd see me holding it or you'd see somebody holding it right. or I guess actually in theory that's not true there's many cases actually in certain countries where people were using their smartphones to take photos in the subway of things they shouldn't be taking yes. photos of so yes. that is a good point it is a good metaphor I actually I, I think that that is a, the government will tackle this and the legislatures and the lawyers will figure something out there needs to be some way to identify a drone mm -hmm. because you know imagine a drone you know you you run it into somebody and injure them there has mm -hmm. to be some way to trace it back to who right. owned it and who caused that injury yeah. um, just the same way that you have registration for cars you have, to yeah. have gun licenses there's going to have to be some way to trace it back to whoever is is managing it but you bring up a good point that one of the very first drone stories i ever read was about a guy who um, every day would walk his son to the bus stop mm -hmm. and the bus stop was two blocks away basically down his block and he got too lazy to do this this was too much effort to put on pants every day so he has a drone that he travels and it follows his son to the bus stop make sure he gets on the bus and goes home again which I thought was great because the, the inevitable end result of that kind of drone usage is all these kids playing at the park. Babysitters. No, 
there's no parents. There's just this cloud of robots hovering right. over the all right. these kids. And it's kind of epically, you know, dystopian to think about this this park full of kids having fun playing in a very analog way with these robots floating overhead because their parents yes. are at home watching football I, with a little drone on. <laughs> I, I would I would like to bring you back to a very certain point, um, which is you know the difficulty of putting pants on every day. As an individual who works from home, um, you really don't understand the struggle involved in that sometimes. And so, you know, don't don't make fun of people that struggle to put pants on. It's it's you know, it's just a thing. Speaking of which, Mike, I had a question. I didn't get the memo um, from the producer. Are pants required for hosts of Tech Moonshine? It depends on if you're being shown from the waist up or the waist down. Okay, cool. Um, and there as... are no are there any drones outside the windows of the cabin right now? No, I haven't seen any. Um, though that I is mean, that is for the best, I believe. Probably. I'll it could it be there. it could be a good show. <laughs> so I will be. say there there are not not to be too down on drones. There are some yeah. great applications. I will say one of the best so far is at least that's been actually applied. It was at the last Olympics. There was all this great footage of the yes. snowboarding events of all these events, and the reason it was possible was they're actually high speed drones that were going down the mountain following the skiers and the snowboarders. So you could actually be, it was like you were on the slopes with them. And right. in certain shots, if you looked at the right angle, you could actually see the drone following the them down the mountain uh, or the shadow of it. And it was great because it was this seamless experience. It was a shot that would not be possible in any other way that was just cruising there. And it, it made it feel, made the sport feel more accessible. Because mm -hmm. in the old days, you're watching skiing, they would cut from one angle to one angle to another angle from all these fixed right. cameras. And it, it you didn't really feel like the person was skiing. You felt like you're getting a little glimpse sewn together. And here you had a cohesive experience. It was great. And those kinds of shots that you couldn't get any other way, that's really exciting for sports for me. Um, the, some of the other places I've seen that used is uh, climbers on these really big cliffs where you literally could not get good shots of people because the cliff was so big. And now um, they'll they'll put somebody at the top of the cliff and that whoever that is does these amazing panning shots where they basically just fly over the edge of the cliff. And as they do, they catch everybody climbing the cliff. Uh, it, it really does allow you to get shots that are unusual and have up until this point required uh, at least a helicopter and typically a lot of very uh, expensive camera gear in order to get. And not only that, Mike, not all drones, this is important, not all drones are airborne drones. Okay. There are actually a lot of very interesting drones, which are submersible drones. In fact, there's a project ah, called Open, Open ROV, which yes. is an open-sourced, underwater submersible drone. But there actually are high-quality commercial submersible drones. And the reason I find it so exciting, one is it allows you, as an amateur hobbyist, to essentially do the equivalent of scuba diving in ways you could never do mm -hmm. before. Right, and so you can go to depths that would be unpractical. You can stay down for longer. You can see everything you'd see without the risk of dying, and frankly, without the expense of scuba diving. But also, just on a commercial, practical basis, the idea you can replace what is frankly very dangerous, which is commercial underwater diving for yes. surveying or welding with submersibles, which would be much safer and controlled from the surface, is really exciting because it should allow for more efficient, faster, cheaper underwater construction. Yes. Which everybody knows is really important in West Virginia where we have a lot of lakes and we have a lot of rivers and we need mm -hmm. to get bridges across them. 
And some so of those lakes and rivers actually go into Virginia as well, where we need to track them there as well. Well, because we need to figure out what they're doing with our water after it passes right. through West Virginia. But that, you got, that's a, you got, a, you got a question. Uh, no, it's actually it's it's actually funny you bring that up. Um, I follow an individual on Twitter named Andrew David Thaler, um, and one of his big things is he builds ROVs, and he is a um, he's got a blog called Southern Fried Scientist. He is a great guy to follow on Twitter. Number one, because he has goats, uh, but number two, because he's actually very funny and he puts this technology to a really good use. His um, his his I think he's got a PhD in some kind of marine biology, and one of the things he does is he uses um, he uses and builds these ROVs in order to do uh, underwater research that they could never do before. Um, and uh, I don't think this came out of him out of his team, but uh, there was uh, recently uh, a picture of uh, this. It's 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 basically like uh, I think they're called anglerfish. But they got a picture of this live female anglerfish under, you know, I guess it was miles of water um, where they, they had literally only captured two or three pictures of this fish in the wild before everything else had been, you know, dragged up through a net or caught or something like that. And they were able to get this unbelievable footage because it was off of an ROV. Um, and, uh, it, it really is, I'll, I'll try, I'll put it in the show notes. It's it, the fish is the thing of nightmares. Like <laughs> it's, it's all mouth with these crazy teeth. It's got this little thing that bobs down and it eats things and there it's, it's, it's pretty terrifying. Um, but that was made possible by the fact that, you know, they could do this research with ROVs. You just, you literally, it's not even that you, it's it's dangerous to put humans down there. You cannot put humans down there. Um, the and pressure that Mike, 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 yes. uh, drone drones cannot just take you underwater. You know what else they can take you? Where can they take you, Sean? This is cool. This is really cool. You know where they can take you? Into space, Mike. Woo! It's so cool. Actually, uh, there are plans online for very cost-effective drones. You can build yourself with a weather balloon and a GoPro camera that you can use to actually send up right to the horizon of space and take photos of the curvature of the Earth, which, you know, the idea that you, uh, as a person, just with normal resources, can actually send something up yes. into the basically the, the edge of space and take photos of the, of the Earth uh, and then retrieve it, I mean, that's amazing. And this is, this is cost-effective. Uh, cost this isn't rocket science. These things are possible today. Uh, GPS, wireless connectivity, compact HD cameras. I mean, these things have unlocked this world of exploration that we as hobbyists can now do things that it used to take government funding or massive amounts of R&D investment to be able mm -hmm. to do, which I've, I think is awesome. And I can't wait to see what the next application is. I can imagine drones going into places like volcanoes that we've never really been able to enter before and, and look at the environment there. Mm -hmm. We have... Essentially, you could argue that the Mars rovers are, in fact, drones. drones. So there yeah. are, and I saw this hilarious thing, by the way, the other day, a little aside, that Mars, I don't know if you knew this, Mike, Mars is, in fact, the only planet that we know of that's inhabited exclusively by robots. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! But we have we have drones exploring the universe for us. I mean, we really drones have become this this interesting um, manifestation of robotics. Right, robotics is always this high expensive, high investment thing, and drones are yeah. essentially the cheapest robot we can come up with 
which essentially a sensor placed on it. And so it becomes an extension of us. It goes to sense for us. It's not like your, your Isaac Asimov robot that's going there to reason about stuff. Right. It's not going there to make decisions. It's going there to sense things and bring back information for us, which has such amazing applications. And, and you think about the Fukushima nuclear reactor situation, sending mm -hmm. drones into nuclear situations where the radioactivity is too high to send people in, even mm -hmm. in insulation suits. Um, you know, the, the, the rescue potential of using drones to find people in rubble that may be buried in areas that you can't reach easily. It, right. It's exciting to know that, that technology is unlocking things that can really change the world. Sometimes it, it's often common to think that technology gets locked inside your computer screen. So I'm sitting on my laptop and, mm -hmm. and all the technology is in the internet, right? And so it's all in my laptop and drones are the opposite of that. They're in the world, right? They're bringing... They're bringing the world into um, into technology, which is yeah. really exciting for me. I can't wait to see what happens. It's funny because uh, talking about volcanoes, uh, you know, there was that that this big eruption um, in Iceland recently. Uh, I think it's still going on. It's one of the biggest eruptions in recorded history, and uh, the guys, I think it was DJI. So DJI, which is a drone manufacturer. Uh, they they have basically drone evangelists, and these guys go out with the DJI drones, and they go do crazy things. And so DJI sent one of their best drone evangelists over to this volcano, um, and these guys they drove in and they uh, they got as far as they could drive in, and basically were told you can't drive any further, and they. Uh, they By said, who? Well, the doofus that was stuck well, no, sitting there, in place there were, No, I mean, there were literally, it, it was like, you know, the road was blocked off by the police saying, hey, you, you can't drive any further. We're pretty sure you're going to die. And they said, well, pretty please, can we hike further? And the cops said, okay, sure, if you want to die, go for it. And they took the drone, they, they took their drone out. They got about a kilometer from the crater of the volcano. The drone range was about a kilometer. So they got as close as they could. Um, within you know virtual spitting distance of this thing, took a drone up, flew it over, and they flew it over twice. The second time that they flew it over, um, all of the magnetic radiation off of the volcano actually screwed with the drone, and uh, it it had a few issues. It got too low. It melted part of it, but the drone made it back, and uh, they got just some. Amazing footage. I mean, it's stuff like you, you, you just, yeah, things that you, you we've never seen before. Like, you know, uh, it, it's just amazing. I'll put it in the show notes. It's, it's pretty unbelievable. Um, so yeah, everything. Uh, and then recently, another guy went over to Chernobyl, uh, a well-known uh, cinematographer, and he did a combination of uh, drone footage and regular camera footage to uh, basically look around at parts of the Chernobyl area that no one could really, no one's gone into in 20 years. Um, so it, it's pretty cool. Awesome. And so, by the way, Mike mentioned the show notes. We should we should say that that's a new feature of the show where if you're on the website, <laughs> there are actually notes about the yeah. show. There are notes about what we're talking about. Because afterwards, we realize that people might not believe us. And so after we talk about stuff, we desperately <laughs> scramble to Google and try yes. to search to see if the things we mentioned right. are real. And if we find out right. they are real, we post them in the show notes to make us look yep. much more credible than we really are. Yes, and, and absolutely. If you ever see us link to a Wikipedia article that was created after the show was over by one of our user we didn't accounts. We did it. It was mm -mm. totally not us. It was some yeah, people trying right. to frame us for uh, you know not being honest. Typically, some of our rival our rival moonshiners will do that to us. 
I, I would I would like to speak specifically to the Twitter account of Tech Moonshine Edits. Um, we don't like what you're doing, and uh, you need to stop it. So. Speaking of which, that's actually a fantastic segue into the last point I want to bring up about drones. Mike, not all drones are made for good. There are, in fact, in okay. fact, the first application of drones was to kill people. The military yes. has been using drones to kill people for a long time. And I, I don't want to debate whether or not it works, because clearly it does. They have killed a lot of people. The real question is, is this philosophical debate about whether or not killing people with drones is okay. Because they argue that it dehumanizes warfare and makes it like a video game. And so, in fact, you have mm -hmm. people sitting at computer terminals with joysticks halfway around the world, flying these drones and killing people. And does that make it too easy? Is it too easy to fly drones and kill anybody? Does it dehumanize warfare? So for all this great things that drones can do, Mike, what do you think? What is your opinion? Do drones, in fact, dehumanize warfare? I, I have read, and I, I do not remember exactly where I read this, uh, but it was basically a research article on drone pilots for the military, for the Air Force. And they basically stated at the end of the article that the operators of these drones suffer from the exact same uh, mental stresses as those who are, are in combat pulling the triggers face-to-face. -face. Unless you are a sociopath, you know, if you're a normal, regular, emotion-sensing human being, I think that the taking of human life, whether it is at a distance or whether it is face-to-face, -face, is going to be a difficult thing, especially if you can see it, and you can see the aftermath. Uh, so I, I, I don't, I don't buy the dehumanizing aspect. I don't think, I don't think the people that are flying the drones for the Air Force uh, believe that they're playing a video game, and that there are no uh, consequences and actions to the pulling of the trigger that they do, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles away. So well said, well said. Although you have to, I have to be honest with you, it does make me happy on the inside to know that those those drone operators. Uh, they've started recruiting people that have video game experience. And the reason that makes me happy on the inside is all those hours I, I've spent, those days and weeks as a kid, <laughs> learning to play video games and getting good at it, right. it turns out actually does, in fact, have some application in real life and can help you get a job. So my parents, who insisted that, in fact, I was wasting my time, in the end ended up being wrong. It just was like, you know, 20 years later. And so my I had no witty comeback at the time. But now I do, Mike. In my elder years, I have a comeback. Right. Yes, yes, indeed, Sean. One thing I wanted to ask you, um, you know, one of the big differentiators on a lot of these consumer drones uh, is the camera. And there seem to be two, uh, two schools of thought, I guess you will, uh, from these manufacturers. There are uh, the ones that basically put a fixed camera in the front. And the example of this is the Parrot Bebop. Um, all Parrot drones, at least the ones that I've seen so far, have what amounts to a fixed camera. And the the camera itself, at least on the Bebop, is interesting because it is a, uh, a fisheye lens, okay? And they actually give you, one of the things you can do is you can hook that feed up to your cell phone or your iPad or whatever it is. And you can drag your finger around the screen. And as you do that, it applies some image, uh, image mathematics and it will start putting into focus where you're pointing. 
So it, it kind of gives you the ability to pan and pan and zoom around, but in fact you have a fixed lens, you have a fixed camera. Um, you can't you can't really move it. Uh, but you get a 180 degree uh, view off of it. Um, the other the other school of thought seems to be like DJI is using this. I suspect you know GoPro is rumored to be building one. They will probably do this. Is basically put the the camera on some kind of a gimbal or something underneath the drone or uh, that you can move around to move independently of the drone. And I am curious, you know, which of those sounds like a better idea to you? Like if you were in the market for a drone, is there one that you would look for over another? Fair enough, but first we have to do jargon busting. That's oh. right. Ah, jargon busting. So, if you're curious, what is a fisheye lens? It is a lens and a camera that distorts everything, and so it makes it look like you're looking through a fishbowl, um, and you may have seen certain shots in movies or in TV shows. It's essentially what the world would look like if you spent the entire time looking through a keyhole that you may have, or a peephole you have on your door, um, and it allows the camera to see more of the world. It just sees it in a distorted way, and then right. later on it can use mathematics to flatten it into a flat image so that the final image doesn't look round. And uh, and a gimbal, as, as Mike was mentioning, is a rotating platform that spins around, kind of like a gun turret you probably have seen in the movies that are spinning around and, and shooting things. Although in this case, it's got a camera and all it's shooting is photographs. Uh, and, and all the names that Mike mentioned of uh, drone products, I think were created using random word association generators <laughs> because some of these names are just yes. freaking ridiculous. Yes, yes. So... Um, I, I think that when it comes to cameras, uh, I think that three things are true. And this gets a little bit off, and, and we'll do a future episode on camera technology, which is fascinating sure. in and of itself. Um, you have uh, lots of different ways of doing it. What is always true of technology is the simplest solution is always going to win because there's so many things that can break on these devices that the simpler it is, the less likely it is to break. I don't mm -hmm. think it'll be the the, semi, the, the the separate rotating platforms because those could break. It's going to be kind of awkward to fly your drone and to move the rotation of the camera at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be difficult controlling and teaching people to do that kind of level of control. I think what will happen is you will have panoramic lenses on these devices, essentially 360 degree cameras. And you'll decide after the fact what you want to look at, and the software will track what you're looking at. And so you can imagine a drone okay. will just have a 360 camera mounted underneath it, and in software later you'll click on something and say, this is what I want to look at, and it will throw out the rest of the panoramic data and create a video that is self-stabilized whatever you were looking at. So that's my theory. It's my hypothesis. Who knows if it'll happen? But in my mind, that would be the simplest solution to the, the problem. I think that's uh, that's a very interesting solution. I'm uh, I I am curious what technological advances need to happen for that to become re reality. I don't think there are any. I think the problem is having an affordable panoramic camera you can mount on these things. I think it's time for the lightning round. Technology topic overload. Yes. Okay, for those of you not familiar with Technology Topic Overload, we will now go through a lightning round of things in the technology industry we found interesting this week, and we each have a minute to rant on that topic, starting with Mike Rollins. Today I read that there is a kid, uh, I don't know where he is, he's 16, he worked for two summers as some kind of a busboy, 
and he saved up $10,000. He convinced his dad to put it into an E-Trade account, and then he just let it sit. He kind of bought some, you know, Apple and Google. Uh, then, middle of the school year, one day, he decided to play sick, and he started playing penny stocks. And he turned $10,000 into $300,000 by the end of the school year, uh, basically by trading on his phone all day long at school. Now, I am impressed by this. Um, I am impressed by the amount of technology that has to come to pass that this is even possible. Uh, I knew some guys that were day traders a long time ago, and boy, the internet connection that they had was just the death of them most of the time. Uh, so for some for some crazy kid that's 16 year old years old to turn 10,000 to 300,000 uh, off of penny stocks off of his iPhone is pretty freaking amazing, and I think it's cool. Sean. So this week, uh, it came out that they, or actually last week, but this week the news came out that probably the most damaging corporate hacking incident in history happened last <laughs> week when Sony Pictures was hacked for every piece of digital data that they have, everything from their unreleased movies to their employee records to uh, everything that they bought, their accounting, literally everything they have was stolen by hackers. And there are theories that it was the North Koreans, it was theories of Chinese. I don't care about that. I also don't really don't care about the fact that Sony Pictures is going to suffer long-term from this hacking incident. What I care about is Sony Pictures' solution to this was to blame the federal government and say that they have not made the internet safe enough and say they need, in fact, to try to make the internet safer so that it is a place people can do business. Despite the fact that Sony Pictures took actually no basic security precautions, including encrypting none of their data, password protecting none of their files, and leaving it all in plain text so the minute somebody got it, they could do whatever they wanted. But despite the fact they took no security precautions, clearly what happens is the government has not allowed the Internet to be safe. That is just obnoxious. Mike, kids. to you! Well, uh, Sean, a follow-up to that. Kids, please remember to salt and hash your passwords when you store them. Um, and a little for, pepper on the side. Sometimes. A little pepper on the side is also very garlic, tasty. Make garlic sure, helps, too. Yeah, make sure, yeah, um, olive oil. Olive oil, your password's very nice. Uh, Sean, I, I had the privilege, or I mean, it's a dubious distinction, to be able to try Google Inbox recently. Um, I don't get it. I just don't understand it. Um, there are so many people trying to fix email, and it's really not broken. I, I think that there may be ways that we can improve it a little bit, but I see all these people coming out that are trying to redefine email and redefine what it what it is and redefine how to communicate and i just don't understand it um i i have a, a pretty simple method for dealing with email um i rely on unread basically if it's unread it means i gotta work on it and uh i strive for zero inbox that's it it's not hard it's not difficult but mostly because nobody sends my email but you know oh my god that is so not true <laughs> but uh it, yeah, uh, it's just it's a bit of a rant. I, I'm I'm just not sure why everybody decides that they need to redefine email over and over and over again. So there you go, Sean. Okay, this week uh, it's important to note venture capitalists are the unsung heroes of technology, investing in new technologies before they're real. Uh, you may not have noticed, but it, the upcoming a venture capitalist by the name of Peter Fenton is going to have not one but two of his portfolio companies IPO in exactly the same day. Both New Relic and Hortworks are going public on the same day. That is the venture capital equivalent of hitting 
a walk-off game-winning Grand Slam in a doubleheader, each game of a doubleheader. <laughs> it is so obscenely unlikely and never happens that you would have such amazing success on exactly the same day at the same time that it deserves respect. Peter Fenton's backed a lot of great technology companies. These are two more great technology companies making good things happen, and it's amazing to see. That's pretty impressive. Um, I'd like to just back one IPO. That'd be cool. Well, there that. you go. And so when Tech Moonshine goes public, you all know who to talk to. It's Mike Woo! Rollins. He's got the connection. Be sure to send him email. He likes getting it. He doesn't get enough of it right now. No, not at all. Yes, you can reach me at sburns at... Oh, wait, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, all right. my email address begins with an S and ends with a Burns. <laughs> I will let you all determine how you spell Burns. And on that note, Sean, I think that we need to hear about our sponsor. At Edith's Harbaugh House, you will find a quaint traditional German Gasthaus, replete with delightfully German fare such as schnitzel and brats. As you enter, you are greeted by Edith herself, dressed modestly in a traditional dirndl. She will attend your every need, feeding you delicious Lebensmittel and plying you with various and tasty types of German beers. Should you leave, you will leave sated, full, and content. So how do you get to the Harbaugh House? It is simple. From Berlin, take a two-day donkey ride to scenic Leipzig. From Leipzig, you can travel by beer wagon to rustic Gotha. From Gotha, a favorite trek is to head due south to Lake Ora Talspare, which you can rowboat across to the southwest end. Then, after waiting all day, if you are lucky enough to catch the full moon launching darkly over the lake while you sit in your rowboat, you will see the Harbaugh House shimmer into being on the southeast shore of the southwest end. Row swiftly, and you may be able to gain entrance assuming that you know the entrance incantation in the tongue of the native fairies. As they say in German, Prost! We are so happy that the Harbaugh House sponsored today's show. If you use the promo code, Bitte helfen Sie mir den Bahnhof zu finden, Edith says you'll get a special door prize, and it will let her know you came from us. Thank you so much to the Harbaugh House for sponsoring. And thanks for joining us for Tech Moonshine. You can continue the conversation with us on Twitter using the at Tech Moonshine account. You can also find us on the web at rollins.io slash techmoonshine. Special thanks to Jeff Hotskiner, who is our banjo player, and his track Bent Nails is what you heard at the beginning of the program. You can find him on SoundCloud using the username Jeff on the Banjo. Join us again for more episodes in the future of Tech Moonshine, where you get the unfiltered truth about tech. 